We went through a long story process here rather than just reading the scriptures because I thought it was important for you to, to see and have a visual and that's the reason I've left the beds here. There was, uh, there was some key things that I didn't bring out with the children but I want you to hear in this story uh, before we get into what I'm talking about from my point. It said that the Samaritan had compassion on the man who was um, injured, who was harmed. And that word compassion, if you were to look it up in the dictionary, um, it comes from a Latin root. And that, that word literally means to suffer alongside with. To come alongside, and not just come alongside, but to suffer. Okay? Compassion means it costs you something. It cost him time. The Samaritan had to stay with him for the night. Because, hey... It had to stay with him for the night. It cost him money because Elliot was not able to get up first thing in the morning. He still needed further care, but Corbin couldn't stay longer. So he said, listen, I can't stay here, but I'm going to hire you to be the caregiver while he's recovering. And you keep him as long as it takes. I'm giving you this in earnest. And when the time comes, when I come back through, if it costs you more than what I'm giving you, then I'll pay the difference. So he had an attitude not only of, I've got to do the right thing, but he came alongside this man, literally getting himself probably bloody and dirty, because he had to carry him to the donkey. He had to help him get up onto, he was probably coated in the man's blood. And then he had to go and get him settled in and in, and he spent the night... I don't think it was just simply because he had wasted all the time on the road and didn't have any more time to go. I think he literally stayed to be a nurse. But he had to get on with his business and so he moves on. Now, all of this is just a story. It's a parable that Jesus taught. And Jesus said this story for a purpose. And we're not going to look necessarily at what that purpose is because we've probably heard that story talked about in sermons and in Bible studies ad nauseum over the years that you've been involved with church. But one of the things that I was doing this week when I was thinking about this morning's sermon, I I asked the Lord, what Bible character do I need to focus on this week? And the Lord brought this story to mind. And I thought, God, we already talked about the Samaritan forever. And we've already talked even about the priest and the Levite forever. And the Lord said, no, I want you to talk about the man who was laying along the side of the road. I want to see this story from his perspective. Jesus didn't tell us anything about him. We don't know what his history is. We don't know what his storyline was prior to this. All we know is that he was on the road. We know that he was traveling. We know that the the road between Jerusalem and Jericho, historically, is a very dangerous place. We know from history that this was a place where robbers would come and accost people and rob them and sometimes kill them. So this story that Jesus was sharing with all of these people was something that they could relate to and understand. I mean, I, don't, I can't think of a place in the Fairbanks area that I could liken it to, but imagine, if you will, you're living in a place and there's, there's a spot in the, in the neighborhood or the community that people just don't go to. You just know you don't go down there because if you do, you're putting your life at risk. Well, that's what this road from Jericho to Jerusalem was. It was the only road and it was the the only way and the robbers knew about it. And and so people would travel in in groups to protect themselves for whatever reason. 
This man, we call him Eliot, so that we can recognize him, um, distinguishes him from the Samaritan. Eliot was traveling alone for whatever reason in Jesus' story. And the end result was, and, and, and also he had stuff with him. We don't know what he had. Jesus didn't tell us that. But he did have stuff with him worthy of stealing. I mean, if he was this poor guy that didn't have anything, why would the robbers even come to him and attack him? But, but the understanding is, is that they stole from him whatever he had, and they beat him to the point where he was bleeding and bruised. And literally the Bible says, half dead. Now, I've never been beaten like that. I've never been harmed like that. So I have no frame of reference. The best I can do is say, maybe being so sick with a fever that I could possibly say that I became delirious, but I don't know that I've ever even been that sick. So maybe for me, the closest I can understand to his level of consciousness would be coming out of a surgery where I'm not quite awake, but I'm not still asleep, and I'm aware of things going around me, but I can't really respond to them. I mean, I can tell you one time, I was having a surgery uh, for, uh, for a hernia repair, and they had me strapped down to the table while I was still out, and I came to from the surgery, and I was aware enough that I was on a table, and I was aware enough that I was strapped down, that I began to have a panic attack because I struggle with claustrophobia. And so I'm literally laying in the recovery room of this hospital with a little old lady candy striper who's sitting there reading a book and just watching me, making sure I'm okay. And I'm aware that there's someone here, but I can't really focus. And I'm aware that I'm strapped down and I try to move and I can't. And all of a sudden this wave of panic comes over me and I began to start thrashing. I still can't speak. I'm not conscious enough yet to be able to speak what's going on. And I'm thrashing around and the little old lady comes over and she puts her hand on my shoulder and she says, Sir, sir, if you'll just calm down, you'll be fine. And inside I'm screaming, If you'll just take these straps off, I'll be fine. But I couldn't communicate that with her. And that for me is the closest that I can understand to what Elliot was laying on the side of the road. Half dead, naked, bleeding, beaten up, can't do for himself. He's aware when the priest walks by. He's aware when the Levite walks by. He's aware when the Samaritan comes up to him. But he's not able to communicate. He's not able to relate. He's not able to cry out even for help. Now, imagine yourself in that level of consciousness, in that inability to respond, laying in the dirt, literally half dead, in great pain, and you see someone coming along this abandoned road. There's either great fear because another person is coming to harm me or there's great relief because finally someone's coming to help me and I'm not going to die. And I think as he got closer, there was something that should that would have distinguished this man as a priest. I don't know how to tell us that because he wouldn't have been in his temple robes. But there had been something about him that identified him as a priest. And Jesus said the priest literally wrapped his robes around himself and stepped back and got on the other side of the road and just went to the... And the guy 
inability to speak, probably can't move, can't cry out, but his spirit is screaming, No! No! Don't leave me here! Please! Please! Don't you understand? I'm going to die if you leave me here! And the priest just scurries away. We have no idea what amount of time happens between the, the arrival of the priest, uh, the departure of the priest and the arrival of the Levite. But again, the same thing. This man, Elliot, is laying there in the heat of the day. No water. His body bleeding. Semi-conscious. Not able to move. In great pain. Fearing that he's going to die. The only help that he had walked away and left him. And finally he hears again footsteps coming. And he he tries to open his eyes and he tries to raise his head, but he just doesn't have it. But he can see somebody's coming. And again, if there was a croak that could come out of his voice, out of his throat, help me, please. He can't even manage that. And again, the exact same scenario. The person wraps his robes around and pulls back and just gets away from him. Leaving again this poor man laying Laying in the dirt. Again, we don't know how long it was until the Samaritan came. But I would think by this point, if it was me, I wouldn't have gotten excited. I wouldn't have gotten motivated. I would have just laid there and said, yeah, another one's just going to leave me lay here. Just another one that's going to pass me by. And then surprise of surprises, the man comes and begins to minister to him. Again, he can't respond. He can't help him. He can't tell him what happened. He's just laying there allowing this other person to minister to him. To pour oil and wine into the wounds. One of the things I, I was reading, one of the commentaries said that the oil was an antiseptic to try and stave off infection. The oil was a balm to try and affect healing. Then he wrapped him in strips of cloths, bandages, and then very gingerly and carefully helped him up onto the donkey and then carried him, because he couldn't do it himself, carried him to an inn. Gets him in, gets him settled in a room. And like I said, this is the thing that I've never read before in all the years, literally laid in the bed next to the man through the night to make sure he would be okay through the night. And then he couldn't stay any longer, so he says to the innkeeper, you take my place in, his, in giving his care. I'll provide all the funds necessary. And if needed, I'll even pay more. Can you imagine, maybe the second or the third day, when Elliot wakes up in that bed, and he says, how did I get here? And the innkeeper relates to him the story. He stopped. That wasn't a dream. He actually, he brought me here and he, he paid for everything. I, I don't have to do any. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we don't know the end of the story. We don't know if they ever saw each other again. It's not given to us. But imagine how that interaction from the Samaritan changed the life of Elliot from that day forward. I, I, I want to imagine that 
he changed for the better. I want to imagine that he learned a valuable lesson of, hey, <laughs> my life has been given back to me and I'm going to turn it around for the good. I am no longer going to be self-seeking. I'm going to make sure that, that I do for others. That I, I come alongside in the same way that this man came alongside with me. This, this idea of compassion, I've never really given it much of a thought, but it is going to be who I am from this day forward. It was a life-changing encounter between Elliot and Corbin. And then I reflected for myself my own world and I thought about things that I've gone through recently which I'm not going to share with you the details you don't need to know the details but I've recognized in myself that I was Elliot to a degree I mean I wasn't laying on the side of the road dead but I was pretty hurt I was pretty beaten up and I needed done for me because I couldn't do for myself in that scenario. And for whatever reason, only a couple of people came to me in my need. And they did it surreptitiously. Do you know what that word means? Without other people being able to see it. They came quietly. And it, I don't think it was because it was um, that they were trying to not let the right hand know what the left hand was doing. I think it was they were afraid to publicly come alongside me for fear that they might get jumped too. They tried to come alongside me. And to the best of their ability, they did come alongside me, but they didn't come alongside me in a way that made me feel like they really were being selfless and sacrificing. And I struggled with that because I thought, you're my friends. You're my, you're the ones that I, I, I literally feel alone. I literally feel totally alone. And I walked away from that experience feeling very empty. And I think that could have been Elliot had no one truly come alongside and been compassionate with them, with him. Because Corbin could have simply said, stay right there, I'm going to go get help. I'll be right back. I can't stay, but I'm going to send somebody. And he could have gone into Jericho and hired somebody to go and get Elliot and carry him to the inn and turn him over to the innkeeper while he continued on because he was very busy and had a lot of things going in his life and just couldn't take the time. Same result. I mean, Elliot's still going to get the help that he needs and Elliot's still going to be cared for. But the distinguishing thing in this whole thing is the word compassion. It cost Corbin something. It cost him his energy. It cost him his time. It cost him his resources. And in this particular example, you saw that I had him spend almost every dollar that he had to make sure that Elliot was cared for. And I, I truly think that when someone does that for another human being, 
that it is life-changing for the one who needs the help. Now, because this is being recorded, I will not use words that are identifying. But everyone in this room knows who I'm going to be talking about in just a second. I was driving home yesterday when I got a phone call that someone in our community was in crisis. And I wasn't able to get to them immediately because of the distance between us. But I said, I'll be there as soon as I can. And I walked out of my vehicle when I finally arrived a couple of hours later. I arrived at their place. And I walked out of my vehicle and they were already outside of their home dealing with the crisis that they were dealing with. And I came alongside them and I just hugged them. And I loved them. And then I let them talk. And it was, it was expressed to me, I need prayer. So we then gathered around and we prayed. And then what needed to happen, the other people who were involved did their work and departed and we were left Pastor, wife, community member, and some family members standing in the driveway. And then we helped this community member walk into their home. And then my wife and I stood in that room with that person, just being with them. I wasn't reading scripture to them. I wasn't spouting Christian platitudes in a better place, no longer in pain, be comforted. I was just present. My wife was present. And we spent an hour listening. And they went through all of the ranges of emotions and the beginnings of a seven-stage process of grief. And we just let them do whatever they needed to do. Because what we were doing in that moment was we had come to the inn and we, were, we had gotten them settled in their place and then we laid in the bed next door and just made sure that they were okay. We didn't try to fix we didn't try to, to encourage. We didn't try to do anything other than just be there and making sure that they were okay. We came alongside with compassion. We suffered with them. Believe me, when I prayed, I was weeping. As I was hugging and loving on them, I was weeping. So I had pain. Believe me, after an eight hour stinking drive of a, and a long, huge week of tired exhaustion, I didn't even get to go to my house until after I had come alongside. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm all that in a bag of chips. I'm saying that because that was what was needed in that moment. If I, if I had done what I initially intended to do, which was care for self first, we would have come to this part of the street first. And done a little quaff and a little toileting and then gone. As it turned out, we would have missed the opportunity for prayer in the driveway. Because the people would have already come and gone. 
And we would have been left feeling badly that we'd missed that opportunity. But because God told me to, we drove straight to. We were given the opportunity to minister. And it was a sacrifice, believe me. It cost us something. We talked about it afterwards. It was hard to stand there for an hour and minister. It wasn't just a light, fluffy thing. We were physically, emotionally, and just we were just weary. But we had to do this. It was the right and appropriate thing to do. We had to come alongside. And again, I'm not saying it because I want anyone to make me to, to, to try and make me feel good. And I don't want I don't want to make a name for myself. That's not what this is about. I'm helping you to understand. The whole story of this is from that person's perspective, from Elliot's perspective. When they look back on that crisis in their life, what are they going to remember? And so I say this all to you because every single one of you probably in your life multiple times had listened to a sermon about the Good Samaritan or Bible study or a Sunday school lesson and you've all said, Yes, rah, rah, rah. I'm going to be that good Samaritan. I'm going to make sure that I show the love of Jesus to all the people around. But never understanding the true life-changing impact that your actions, words, and presence can have on the one who is in that crisis. And it is not just coming with a kind word or a loaf of bread or a Bible verse It is getting yourself dirty with them. Getting the blood on you if needed. Being in the stinky, nasty, whatever it might be that they're laying in. Because it will make an eternal difference to that soul that is in crisis. That's what it truly means to have compassion. I can throw money all day long if I had it. I can hire lots of people. But to sit with someone, to be present with them, to suffer with them, that's what it truly means to be a neighbor and to love your neighbor as you love yourself, which is the second commandment. Let's pray.